Hello, this is Curtis Edwards, Vice President of Investor Relations at Hudson Investing. Are you ready to start building your multifamily portfolio? Kent and I are excited to announce our newest deal in Spartanburg, South Carolina. This 157-unit property offers a unique chance to acquire a B-class value-add property for just $120,000 per door. This is well below replacement costs. De-risking the deal even further is a favorable loan assumption with over six years remaining at 3.73% fixed. With 50 economic development projects underway and 70,000 jobs within a 20-minute drive, the South Carolina upstate region is primed for above-average job, population, and rent growth. Don't miss out on this exclusive deal. Find the link in the description notes to learn how you can invest. A lot of the quote, like short-term rental people out there are like, oh yeah, buy like three short-term rentals and quit your job. And that's very much not the strategy for wealth building. Um, If you need to create that cash flow to go buy something bigger, like an apartment building, short-term rentals are a really great place to start your portfolio. But I wouldn't suggest starting and ending with, you know, just a couple. Welcome to Right Around Real Estate, the show about how to passively invest like a pro. On each episode, I interview real estate experts who give their top investing advice, strategies, and tools, and I break down their insights into practical steps to avoid the pitfalls and make better investments. I want to help you passively invest like a pro. This is Ritter on Real Estate, and I'm your host, Kent Ritter. Hello, fellow investors. Welcome to another episode of Ritter on Real Estate, where we teach you how to passively invest like a pro. My name is Kent Ritter, and I'm your host. And today, my guest is Avery Carl. Avery is the author of short of short term rental, long term wealth: your guide to analyzing, buying, and managing vacation properties. She's also the host of the Short Term Show podcast, which is a f- fantastic show. I can vouch for it myself, being a guest. And in addition to that, she owns the Short Term Shop, which has helped over. 4,500 families create generational wealth through real estate investing in short-term vacation rentals. So Avery, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. I'm glad we get to flip the script a little here. And now I get to ask (laughs) you the tough questions. Uh, Before we get into those though, just start with, you know, telling us a little bit more about who you are and how you got to be where you are today. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I am a real estate investor. First and foremost, I own about 200 doors currently, eight of which are short-term rentals. And my strategy for getting from zero to 200 uh, over the course of about five and a half years was that five of our first six investments were short-term rentals. And since they cash flow so much heavier than traditional single family long-terms, we were able to scale much more quickly than if we had started with traditional single families. So um, did that and probably on our second short-term rental investment, we realized there weren't really any agents in the space that could answer our questions about how much a property should make, like how to find a cleaner, things like that. So I got my license, bridged that gap and became that agent, started what would eventually become the short-term shop. Our first office was in the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee, but now we have 11 offices across seven states and we work exclusively with short-term rental investors. I love that. I think that's such mm-hmm. a, a cool story about how you've, you use the short-term rentals basically to build up the cash flow to be able to 
I mean, I think all, like leave your job, but also supplement your, your other investments. And then from there, you've kind of bridged the gap into longer term rentals as well and build a, a more complete portfolio. So I think that that's cool. And along the way, you, you realized there was a gap in the market. You started a brokerage and now yeah. you have 11 locations. So things must be going well in the short-term biz. Yeah, yeah, they are going well. And I, you bring up an interesting point that like of quitting the job. So I, a lot of the quote, like short-term rental people out there are like, oh yeah, buy like three short-term rentals and quit your job. And that's very much not the strategy for wealth building. Um, if you need to create that cash flow to go buy something bigger, like an apartment building, short-term rentals are a really great place to start your portfolio. But I wouldn't suggest starting and ending with you know just a couple. I mean, you can because mm -hmm. there's more than one way to skin a cat in real estate investing. But uh, my advice is to you know keep your job as long as you can and spend all of your uh, all of your rental income on more rentals not on mm -hmm. just living life. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. I think that, uh, and, and I like how you said, don't start and end with short-term rentals too, right? Like there's right. there's diversity at play. You need to be diversifying. And, and so I think, yeah, really, really great philosophy from investing. Appreciate you sharing that with us. Yeah. I want to dig in more to short-term rentals. I mean, it's just not something I know much about. And so, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about apartment syndications and long-term apartment investing on this show. And so that's one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on is just help educate us on, on a different type of investing. Because like you said, there's a lot of ways to skin the cat. And, you know, I think there, there's a place for short-term rentals, uh, especially because of the, the big cash flow component. So maybe just start to help us orient ourselves with, with what do we expect from a short-term rental? Like, like how does a short-term rental maybe just like, what is a short-term rental? Start the very basics, right? Okay. And then how does that differ uh, from a longer-term rental? Like when you, when you think about returns, cash flow, expectations, things like that. Sure. So a short-term rental is technically a property that is rented for any period less than 30 days. Uh, what I focus on is more of, it's kind of like a subgenre within short-term rentals, which is vacation rentals. So I only buy in like vacation markets. So, mm -hmm. you know, the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee, Destin, Florida, these are not areas that have a lot of industry outside of tourism. Everything uh, is about tourism. And so that's kind of what I focus on. Um, I mean, there are some, there are some similarities, but, and a lot of differences, but it's really just a, a mindset thing. So a lot of people think, well, you know, if you're, if you've got a 50 unit apartment building across the country from you, you probably need a manager to run that, um, with short terms. And that makes a lot of sense. Like all of my long terms, I have a, a manager on or different managers in the different markets, but with short terms, the real way to like get the best bang for your buck is to self-manage, even if you're hours and hours and hours away. And the reason for that is because in long-term, you know, managers take eight to 10% which is not that much, you know, when the rent might be $1,000 a month on each unit. So with short term, the typical like average management split is 25 to 30% of your gross. And to give you a, just some perspective on that. So I have eight. And um, if I had paid a manager last year, 25%, I would have paid a manager $200,000. So as real estate wow. investors, <laughs> we've got better things we can do with that $200,000 mm -hmm. when with self-management, there's just really a few apps and automation tools and property management software to where once you get it all set up, 
you can run the whole business from your phone in like 30 minutes a week for one property. So it's really, it's just a mindset shift between long-term and short-term. Also the analysis differs quite a bit. Uh, when you're looking at an apartment building, those numbers fit really, really nicely into a spreadsheet because the rent is what the rent is for the duration of the lease every single month. And that's mm -hmm. not going to change until, you know, somebody moves out, you do some rehab up the rent, whatever with short terms, it's really different because the rent on a Tuesday in February is going to be different than a Saturday in July and there's seasonality involved. So, you know, January, February, you're probably not going to be making that much money, but June, July, August, you know, you're going to be making a ton of money. So you kind of have to look at things a little bit differently. And then cap rate also doesn't work as well with short terms because they are residentially appraised assets. So the, mm -hmm. the income does not determine the, uh, the price of the property. So if you've got a short term that makes hundred thousand dollars a year, and there's an identical property next door that makes zero because somebody lives there technically to the bank, they're worth the same thing. So it's a little bit different on the analysis. You really want to focus more on cash on cash return with short mm -hmm. terms. Um, but the big, the gist of it is that short, especially coming from the apartment world, short-term analysis is always going to be a little bit of a range and the numbers are going to be a little fuzzier than the nice clean numbers you like to see on apartment buildings. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that was a great, great overview. I mean, I think <laughs> you, you outlined a lot there. There's a lot to dig into, um, but it makes sense overall. I mean, you know, and that's part of so part of the reasons that I like apartments or just commercial real estate is, is, and we talked about this when I was on your show, is this idea of like forced appreciation, right? And that's really where that cap rate comes in, right? And being able to push up income and therefore push up the value. On, on the short term, you made the point that no matter how much money it's making, because it's kind of a one to four unit property, right? The bank's going to look at that, uh, or it's just going to be valued based on the market, um, not based on the income. I imagine there's opportunities to be had there though too, right? If you can if you can buy a property based on what the market values it at for somebody that's a single family, but but like you said, it turn around turns around and makes a hundred thousand dollars a year, that's probably a pretty decent return. So so in kind of on the flip side, there's probably values to be to be found, right? Because of how they are valued. Yeah, yeah. So it can work both ways, actually. So. Uh, there are times when if it were being valued based on cap rate, that the purchase price would be a lot more than what you're mm -hmm. paying. But what we're kind of running into in some markets right now is that uh, the value of residential has appreciated so much that now it's kind of flipping and that mm. if it were based on cap rate at the current price, then it would actually be a little bit less. So you do, I mean, in any any asset class right now, you kind of have to be creative. You know, the, the most recent one that I bought uh, was a three bedroom listed as a three bedroom, but it had a partially finished downstairs storage room that had already had a bathroom off of it. It wasn't a nice bathroom. So all we did was finish out that room and finish out that bathroom and turn it into a four bed. And it makes, uh, you know, 25,000 more dollars a year than it would have. So you just kind of have to be creative, like with any asset class, but it can work either way. Sure, sure. No, that, that's really interesting. So when, when I think about investments, I like to, to start with the market um, before I start to look at the property. And, and you mentioned that you focus specifically on vacation rentals, which I think is interesting. Mm -hmm. You gave us a, a sense of some of the markets you look at, but what, what are 
maybe give us your, your top couple markets that, that you like and, and why for the type of, of investments that you do. Sure. So all of my properties are in three markets in terms of my short terms. They are in the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee, so that Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, Sevierville area. And then they're in the Panhandle of Florida. I've got a few in the Destin, Panama City, 30A area. And then one, one market over, one market east of that called the Forgotten Coast in an area called Cape Sandblast. But so what I'm looking for in a market is um, I want it to be a regional drivable vacation market. And I want it to not have a lot of hotels. So, you know, a lot of people were like, well, why don't you go down further like to Tampa or to Southern Florida? Well, because there's tons and tons and tons of hotels in those markets and that makes for anti-short-term rental regulation. So I'm looking for places where it's been a normal thing for decades and decades for families who are vacationing there to either stay, you know, in a cabin or a beach house mm -hmm. or a condo, stuff like that. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense because I, I know, I mean, I know, I know even some investors I know have run into regulations or, or changing regulations with their short-term rentals. And so that thought of sticking with markets where it's something that is, uh, has been commonplace for a long time, right? Like there, there are those markets where, yeah, like you said, Smoky Mountains is great. Like I, I mean, we, we still go there. I mean, I went there as a kid, but even this day, I mean, we'll still go down there and rent cabins and things, you know? And mm -hmm. so I, I definitely see how, how that makes a ton of sense. I mean, and because one thing you have to watch out for, right. Are regulations and, and the regulatory changes around short term, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And that happens a lot, especially in Metro markets. So, um, the entire reason that I ended up, I started out in the Smoky Mountains was because we were living in Nashville and we said, okay, well, we've got one single family worth of down payment left to be able to use on a rental property. We bought one long-term already and we were like, okay, this is something we want to do. Mm -hmm. And we said, well, what can we buy that's going to make us the most amount of money, the fastest. So we landed on short-term rentals so that we could obviously go buy more things. Yep. And, but we chose not to do it in Nashville because there were already lots of short-term rental regulations popping up. And the, the problem with Metro markets is that a, so let me back up a little bit. So somewhere like the Smokies or Destin, like I grew up coming to Destin. I live here now with my parents on vacation. We always stayed in a condo or a beach house, yep. uh, up until 10 years ago, 15 years ago, maybe all the tourists going to Nashville stayed in hotels. And then there was a big shift when Airbnb came around and people started realizing that, this, hey, this is an actual asset class now. This is actually a good investment um, to where a lot of market share started being taken away from the hotels. So there's A, the hotels don't like it, market share being taken away. And then B, primary homeowners don't like it either uh, because, you know, no, nobody wants, like in Nashville, for example, everybody was raising their kids on previously quiet neighborhoods and streets. And then all of a sudden it's like bachelorette party central with these big, tall, skinny, new constructions <laughs> opening up and, you know, penis balloons everywhere in front of their three-year-olds. Yeah. <laughs> so the primary homeowners whose income does not depend on um, tourism and then hotels are the two main things that drive anti-short-term rental regulation. And I'm guilty of it too. So I live in a tourism destination and my little neighborhood doesn't really have many rentals. There are two, but they're, you know, several streets over and there's a house at the end of my street for sale right now. And I'm like driving by when people are looking at it and giving them the hairy eyeball, like you're not going <laughs> to short-term rent that, are you? And then, you know, that's what my whole business is, is that and I'm like, I don't want, don't do that in my neighborhood. So I get it, you know, so you have to make sure that you're choosing your market based on where it's going to be the most favorable for 
short-term rental owners. For sure. But that, that makes a lot of sense. And those are some good things to look out for. And so, um, so, okay. So we figure out the market we want, we want to be in. Right. And then we're, and then we're breaking that down. What do you look for in a property that says, Hey, th- this is one that's going to be a great short-term rental. So you want to buy something that has come to be the expectation for renters in the market. So I'll use um, Destin or there's a a town just west of Destin called Fort Walton Beach, also big tourists. But um, what I've seen recently is, you know, people come, they want to stay on a in a condo on the beach or like a bright colored beach house or like white is the new beach house color, but they want the vacation vibe. Mm -hmm. What I've seen some people make mistakes on. And that's like, there's a little, they call it an island, but it's more of a peninsula out like, uh, it's called Okaloosa Island. That's where you want to be. You want to be on Okaloosa Island because it's on the Gulf. The water is beautiful, but then there's a bay between Okaloosa Island and true Fort Walton beach. You don't want to buy a short-term rental on the North side of the bay because people don't go to the bay. They go to the beach. Like that's the attraction. Mm -hmm. What I've seen, um, investors make mistakes with is they're like, oh, wow, cool. This, this three, one brick ranch home is significantly cheaper than going out on Okaloosa Island. These numbers are going to be great. I'm going to do that. It's on the North side of the Bay, Yeah, but that's not where people go. So sometimes people will get too hung up on purchase price and numbers, yeah. but you have to buy what the tourists have come to expect. The tourists do not come down here to stay in brick ranch homes that could be in Kansas city or wherever, you know, pick mm-hmm. it up and drop it in any city. They want to feel like they're on vacation. Same thing in a mountain market. People want to stay in cabins. They want to feel right. like they're getting the mountain experience. So right. in terms of the property, before you even start looking at numbers, you want to make sure that you're buying something that is in that vein of what the tourists have come to look for. Yeah. That makes complete sense. I mean, yeah, you want it, you want that beach house five, right? You want to feel, <laughs> yeah. you want to feel like you're there and and, and, and you said location matters clearly, right? Location always matters. But I think with vacation houses, even more, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're going to pay more typically to stay somewhere that's convenient. Yeah, for you. absolutely. And, and, you know, so, I mean, yeah, if you're it's like, I, I relate it to like, you know, it's like when, when people will look at apartment deals in like D class areas, like bad neighborhoods and they're like, yeah, on paper, this is going to be, this is a great deal. It's like a 14 cap rate, you know, it's going to make a ton of money. It's like, yeah, but it's in, it's in the middle of a really bad area with really high crime. Like it's going to be hard to collect those rents. Like, so what, what's all, what looks good on paper isn't necessarily what the reality is going to be. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It makes a ton of sense. So, um, okay. So let's say we find one, we got one, it's got that beach vibe. It's right where we want it to be. You mentioned that short-term managers can charge, would you say 25%? 25 is kind of the average. There are yeah. some of the older school ones that charge 40, which that's the whole reason I started with self-management wow. because in the Smokies, the old standard four or five years ago was 40%. Wow. So yeah, we don't want to pay that, right? We're savvy <laughs> investors. So you mentioned there's some ways to, to do it yourself. Um, I mean, how do you, if, if you're buying your, your first one, how do you start to set up a program? Like, what does that program look like where you can manage it yourself? Okay. So it's not terribly difficult. It's going to take a little elbow grease on the front end. Like you're going to be a little stressed for a couple of days trying to figure it out, but once it's set up, you're good. So what you'll need, obviously you want to list your properties on both Airbnb and VRBO, and then you'll need two subscriptions or two software subscriptions. The first one is to, uh, 
property management software. Uh, the one that I use is called uh, Guesty for Hosts. And there are a bunch of other ones, IGMS, Owner Res. There are some other ones. I find Owner Res is like kind of its own thing. If you want to like get in there and be an engineer and obsess over a hundred different things in a thousand different settings, then like by all means that do that, that's for you, Owner Res. But Guesty is like a little more user-friendly and, and intuitive. So that's what I use. And then you also need a pricing manager. So this one gets overlooked quite a bit because people are like, oh, I'm just going to go in there and manually price. Like I know 4th of July is going to need to be really expensive and February is going to need to be cheap. But uh, what a pricing manager does is it has some kind of algorithm and I'm probably going to misuse my technical terms because I'm not an engineer, um, but it has an algorithm that is constantly analyzing current and past booking data for the area, depending on the time of year. So it's always analyzing everything and pricing you at the highest price that it thinks you're able to get for that night. And mm. there'll be things that you didn't know were happening. Like Smoky Mountains, one of the biggest weekends in the entire year is called Rod Run. And it's a hot rod convention where everybody brings their hot rods to town. But like, you might not know that if you've only been there twice. So yeah. this app kind of saves you on all that. And um, they didn't have pricing managers when I first started, but when we first started using one, switching from manual pricing to using a pricing manager, our income went up 20%. So anyway, back to the question. Two, yeah. two pieces of software, you need a property management software. Sometimes it's called a channel manager and then you need a pricing manager. Um, you want to have three, there are three smart tools you'll need. You need a, a smart lock, Schlage, Encode are the best ones. They are like, it is like trying to get drugs right now to find one like you can't just go to <laughs> the lows anymore because everybody is buying them it's like impossible and if anybody finds some they're like post them on the short-term rental owners groups like i just found some at lows in severeville they have six go really? so yeah schlag on codes are the best but there are lots of other ones that work well you also want to have a smart thermostat do not use a nest it's way too uh it, it looks really cool but guests especially older ones have a hard time working with it. Uh, yeah. We use a Honeywell T9, looks yeah. really similar to an S, totally sexy, but easier to use. And then you also want to have a ring doorbell camera, just in case it's not to watch all day and spy on people. It's only to refer back to if something happens. So that's technically five tools, two pieces of software, three pieces of hardware, and then you need two people, your cleaner and your handyman, and then you're good to start. Uh, you can build everything else out from there. Nice. Well, you broke it down pretty simply for us. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't seem like that that's too high of a barrier, right? seems like you could get that set up. And uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like you, you could be off to the races there. So, all right. So let's say we're going to play this through. First one, you're set up and you're like, cool, this is going okay. I got my software. I got my people. We're renting this out. You're like, well, yeah, this is a no brainer. How do I get, you know, 10 more of these, right? How, how do you scale this? Like what, what's the how does it work from there? How do you start to scale it up? Like, what did you go through as you went from one to eight? So the biggest thing for me at the time was financing because we kept running out of DTI and running out of DTI because we were using conventional loans. But now there, there are DSCR loans for short-term rentals, which DSCR for people who don't know what that is, is the debt service coverage ratio loan. So mm -hmm. instead of going off of your personal debt to income ratio, it goes off of what the property will make. And it doesn't matter what your debt to income ratio is. So it's a portfolio loan technically, but it works mm -hmm. more like a commercial loan. 
So it doesn't matter what your DTI is. doesn't matter if you're maxed out on conventional loans. Uh, you can still put some, there are some companies that'll do 15% down. Uh, so I would recommend DSCR loans if you're running into um, debt to income problems. Yeah. Uh, because honestly, people with short term, they get so, they go and listen to a bunch of different real estate podcasts and they hear all these crazy creative financing terms and they'll come to me on a house that is like, turnkey and ready to go and be like, Oh, do you have a hard money lender? I can call it. I'm like, what do you need that for? Just get a conventional loan. It's going to be the cheapest and have the right. easiest terms. Like just right. do that. And we'll get you hard money when you need it. This is not that time. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I always recommend going conventional, uh, when you can. And then once you max yeah. those out, uh, and then in terms of scaling, I had to start small. So my first five were all one and two bedrooms. And then after some time and some equity and cash flow buildup, I did 1031 exchange a couple of those into some bigger ones. Um, so now I've got some four and five bedrooms too. So it's still, I think a lot of people confuse short terms with being able to get rich quick when no, it's still real estate investing. Real estate investing as a whole is a get rich slow strategy. Yep. Um, so it's easy to scale pretty quickly using some of those financing tools. Um, but you know, just buy what you can afford when you can afford it and don't live off your rental income, roll that into your next down payment. And once you get that like second one going, they start rolling in really fast. Yeah. Very cool. So as your, um, so yeah, you made a point about the financing, obviously I think that's, I mean, that's a huge component of being able to scale, right. Finding lending partners. Are there certain banks that are. Like, like how, how do banks view short-term rentals at this point? Is it kind of a redhead stepchild thing? Is, is it like in, in something that most banks will lend on now? Do you have to find particular ones? Like, like just how do they view it? It has in the past been a stepchild. Um, they're kind of getting hip to it now. I would recommend a, as long as you're using a bank or brokerage that has done short-term rental deals in the market that you're trying to buy in before, then you're yeah. probably going to be okay. Cause at the end of the day, you know, it, it works very similar when you're doing conventional financing anyway, to if you're just buying a long-term rental, if you don't, um, you don't like, you just, they don't need to see a lot like a commercial lender would. Mm -hmm. uh, and then if you're using commercial financing, uh, then I would also obviously recommend using a small local bank or credit union in the area that's local to the property. So for example, like when I lived in Nashville and I was trying to buy something commercial in Destin, the Nashville lenders were like commercial for short-term. No, no, that's crazy. Why would I do that? But if you come down here, all the local banks are totally cool with it because they're here, they're dealing with it every day yeah, and they, they get understand it. it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you just have to kind of make sure you're choosing the right lender. Uh, but if it's commercial, you, you probably need to go like super local to to the asset. Gotcha. And th that's another great point you made because I mean, that's something that I've learned in, in my years of doing this now and working with a lot of different banks is, you know, all banks are not the same, but by any means, every bank has kind of their own specialty, their own type of asset that they like, what they feel comfortable with, you know, different terms, different structures. And so I think your point about going local and finding banks that, that have done short-term rentals and are comfortable in the market especially with something that's a little, 
you know, a little different, right? You're not just buying a primary residence here, then I think that that's going to serve you really well. And so it's like, if, if you're out there and you find a bank that says, oh no, we, we definitely won't do that. You're probably just not talking to the right, right bank. And you just need to find the one that fits the asset that, that you're trying to work for. Because exactly. um, they definitely are not, are all not the same. Well, awesome. Well, Avery, um, man, this has been super inf in informational. I mean, I, I've, <laughs> I've learned a ton. I think you've given us some systems that we can put together, you know, how to go out and buy it. Um, maybe bef before I let you leave, just what are, what are some big lessons learned that you had along the way? Maybe help some of our listeners avoid some pitfalls. Don't get caught up in taking every single booking. So especially new investors will get caught up in oh, I can't turn down a booking. I can't turn down a booking. I got to have 100% occupancy. Uh, you can weed out the potential bad reviews by not accepting every booking. So what I mean by that is the really hard to please people who are going to be the kind of people that like go out to a steakhouse, eat the entire steak, and then want a refund because it wasn't cooked the way they wanted, even uh -huh. though they already ate the whole thing. Um, you'll kind of know by the questions that they're asking up front. Like we, this sounds ridiculous, but this is a question we get fairly often. Uh, what thread count are your sheets? Somebody who's asking that is not going to like anything about anything. So we just are like, Oh, uh, we got them on special at target. They're Jersey knit. Like, yeah, they're great. <laughs> so that person, you tell them what they don't want to hear to make yeah. them go elsewhere because if you let them stay and then you can never make them happy, it's going to show up in your reviews and it's going to affect your income. So my biggest piece of advice is don't get caught up in trying to take every booking Only sure. take the good ones. And most sure. of them are good, but you weed out the bad ones by not booking them. So you, you create a series of, of, well, no, this is, I guess, are you creating the questions up front to try to weed that out? Or is it more the questions that come in? It's based on the questions that come in. Like gotcha. we have a, an auto message that'll say like, oh, hey, thanks so much for choosing us. Like what brings you to town? And then normally, you know, they'll say, oh yeah, this is uh, actually, uh, most of us are 18, but one of us is 21 and we're here for a bachelorette party. And there's 10 of us, even though you're only, you're, you know, it's a two bedroom house. Like people will tell <laughs> right. them themselves so fast um, and nothing against bachelorette parties. I've said that twice on this show, but uh, you know, just the ones that are maybe trying to cram too many people, yeah. or you can tell that they're just never going to be happy. And they're going to be the kind of guest that comes in and like moves your refrigerator away from the wall to see if there's dirt underneath. So um, yeah, just based on their, on their incoming information, you can pretty much weed it out pretty quick. Gotcha. And, and when you're doing your numbers on a short-term rental, uh, because I think this is very different too, right? I mean, a long-term rental, you're, you're looking, you want occupancy. When, when On a short-term rental, what's your expectation uh, for occupancy like in, in a given month? What are you targeting? For me, it's not necessarily occupancy. It is gross annual income. So an example that okay. I like to give when people ask that question is, so I have a four-bedroom cabin in the Smoky Mountains and a, also a four-bedroom beach house about four blocks from the beach in Destin, Florida. I bought those in the same year, paid roughly the same amount for each. Expenses are roughly the same. The Smokies house has like a 90% occupancy rate and the Destin house has a 67% occupancy rate. So if you're looking at only occupancy rate, you're going to pick that Smokies house every time. But mm -hmm. the Destin house actually made $40,000 more last year than the Smokies house. It just did it all between March and the end of October. So sure. with short terms, like some places are going to be seasonal and 
if you're too caught up in occupancy rate only, like, yes, occupancy rate is important, but like, what do I care if the house rents one night a year for a million dollars? Uh, it's, I would rather have that than one that rents 363 nights a year for 10 bucks. So yeah. you really want to make sure that that, um, gross annual income is what you want it to be and not just occupancy rate. Sure. That, make, that makes a ton of sense. Appreciate that perspective. So Avery, I want to take you through our keys to success round before I let you go. I got four questions I want to ask you. The first one is, if you were going to invest your money with somebody else, you know, somebody else has a, a real estate deal that's going on, and you could only ask them one question before you send that check, what is that one question that you would ask? What's your track record? Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> What are you most proud of in your career? Um, I think really just breaking the cycle of thinking that you have to like go get a corporate job and work that job until you're 65 and die, basically. Um, I think that's a really hard mindset to get out of. So I am proud of myself for being able to get out of that. <laughs> I love that. What book should everybody read? Traction by Gino Wickman. It's a great book. I was just telling you before this, I feel like I need to go back and reread that book uh, as, as we continue to grow. There's tons of nuggets to pick up. So good for any entrepreneur. Yes. And then lastly, what is your number one key to success? Oh, um, is you've got to go with the flow. Uh, if you're too rigid about what you're looking for and you know, this one cell on this spreadsheet is 1% off of what I need it to be you might have a hard time ever actually getting going. Um, if you have the ability to, to be a little more fluid with um, whether it's pivoting markets or pivoting asset classes, uh, not necessarily like looking at too many things at one time, but when a door closes, a window opens. So just, you know, kind of having the ability to go with the flow, I think is going to be the most important thing, most important key to success. Awesome. That's fantastic advice. And lastly, as uh, you know, folks heard what you said today, I'm sure some folks are going to be interested in learning more about short-term rentals. So if folks want to reach out and learn more about what you're doing. How can they reach you? You can find me on Instagram at the short-term shop. Uh, if you want to buy a house with us uh, or, or with one of our agents, not with us partnering, uh, it's the shorttermshop.com and you can sign up for a consultation there, or you can also pick up my book, short-term rental, long-term wealth. Cool. And we'll make sure all that's listed below. And Avery, thank you so much for coming on the show today and appreciate you bringing all your knowledge and we hope you have a great rest of the day. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to another great episode of Ritter on Real Estate. Hit the subscribe button to make sure you don't miss out on the content that will make you a better investor. Also visit kentritter.com for articles, videos, and tools curated just for passive investors. Until next time, this is Kent Ritter with Ritter on Real Estate. Now go out and invest like a pro.